Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page 3 for the reading of Scripture. So I'm going to read from a passage that's printed, which is Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 16, and then invite you to respond as indicated below. Would you listen now with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love? The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today in the month of Abib you are going out. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and to your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time it comes, when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be to you as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize uh, that as we come here today that we no doubt come from all sorts of different places, all kinds of different circumstances. Father, I thank you for those who are here today uh, who are drinking deeply of your goodness. I thank you for those who are first-time fathers or uh, fathers-to-be. Lord, I thank you for those um, of us who are sons and daughters of good fathers uh, who are grateful for your provision there. And yet I recognize that others are here uh, with no father or with uh, a father that does not resemble your goodness. Lord, I recognize further that there are some here who would desperately wish to be fathers and who are not. 
And Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we come here drinking deeply of your goodness or we come here in great sadness and melancholy, whether we come here believing in you and trusting in you and expecting in you, or whether we come here uh, overcome with doubt as to whether you're even real, and if you are, whether you're good, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that every single one of us ultimately comes here the same. We all have an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would open our eyes and show us how you have met this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. We are in our sermon series on the uh, first part of the book of Exodus that we are calling With a Mighty Hand, Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God. And today's sermon, we're looking at uh, this frequent distinction that's made in our culture between sacred and secular. So this is a big point of discussion um, in some circles, what is sacred and what is secular. And it's interesting, I sat this week with a missionary to France, and he was telling me that these, this distinction is in some cases outlined legally in their nation. So for example, there was a big controversy about the burkini, if you've heard of that, certain kind of uh, Islamic dress that uh, women would wear at the beach, and then uh, the French government outlawed that because they said, no, this, the beach is not a sacred place. It's not a place to wear religious symbols. It is a place for the secular. And I wonder, um, you know, as Americans, uh, many of us and uh, living in this land where we think about it differently, I wonder how you think about this distinction between the sacred and the secular. What, what's one thing that comes to your mind when I use this word, sacred? Anyone? What's one thing, first thing that comes to your mind when I use this word, sacred? Yes. Holy. What about a place or a thing? Anyone? Communion. Absolutely. I can think of, too, when Chrissy and I moved to New York City, we actually moved to the neighborhood of one of the most beautiful cathedrals in all the city, St. John the Divine. And I would take our uh, guests to go see that, and you would sit in it, and it didn't matter who you were, no one would be loud when they walked in this cathedral. Partially because you could hear them no matter where you were in the cathedral, but also, I believe, because it communicated that there was something sacred there. Here's a quote on how uh, we tend to think of this from Mike Baer. He says, um, we can at least approximate the meaning of the divide in this way. It is a view of life built on a separation or distinction between those things, people, and places, sometimes believes to be sacred, holy and of God, and those believed to be secular, worldly, and not of God. Certain callings are holy, such as being a missionary or a pastor, and others are secular, i.e. of the world, and therefore unholy, such as business, medicine, construction, etc. Certain places are sacred as well, church buildings, graveyards, seminaries, while others are secular, my house, your house, schools, and athletic stadiums. How are we to think about this? How are we to think about this divide? It's interesting, R.C. Sproul, in one of my favorite books, he spoke about how there is an attraction to the sacred, um, really 
regardless of where you, uh, how you have been brought up, he says it this way. He says, we tend to have mixed feelings about the holy. There is a sense in which we are at the same time attracted to it and repulsed by it. Something draws us toward it, while at the same time we want to run away from it. We can't seem to decide which way we want it. Part of us yearns for the holy, while part of us despises it. We can't live with it, and we can't live without it. Right? So we have this attraction, and then we have this kind of repellent from the things that we think are sacred. But what this passage does for us is it tells us that we often look for the sacred in the wrong places, or more accurately, that we don't look in the right places. And where does it, how are we to think about that? Well, this is how this passage opens. In verse 1, it says, the Lord says to Moses, consecrate or make holy or consider sacred. Consider sacred to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. Now, I want to help put this into perspective for you. God says, there are sacred moments in your life where you encounter the very holy presence of God. And you know what they are? Answer, when you get your paycheck. I mean, think about this, right? If you were a farmer and uh, your, uh, your animals gave birth and there was a healthy-looking animal and then God says, you know, the first male animal that comes must be devoted to me. And that word devoted, by the way, means sacrificed, right? So uh, animals that were clean, considered clean in the Jewish system, would be sacrificed and offered up to the Lord as a fragrant offering to Him. The ones that were unclean, they would then have to go find a clean animal and sacrifice that animal to, quote, redeem the firstborn. For the firstborn sons, uh, they would be redeemed by way of likewise offering up a sacrifice to the Lord, and it, it conveys this idea of buying back. And so what God is saying to us today is that we encounter the sacred in particular when we receive from the Lord two things, right? Uh, money and children, which, by the way, happen to be two idols in our country and, frankly, in the church. Now, what do I mean by that, that these happen to be two idols? Well, an idol is that which we derive our ultimate worth and our ultimate comfort and our ultimate security from. It's the thing that can control our affections, that can control our decisions more than anything else. And if you get to know people, you'll often see that there are two operating forces in their lives that have this kind of influence, right? The first is money, right? So, you know, honey, I'm sorry, I need, I'm not going to uh, do these other responsibilities because I need to work, I need to prioritize my business, I need to prioritize these other things, right? I am going to be there. The other thing, though, is kids, right? So, I'm going to make my children's schedule determine every part of my life, right? When we were in New York City, by the way, this was, this was pronounced. So, in New York City, when you have a baby, 
One of uh, the scariest things is getting into preschool. Okay, it is extremely competitive you know, amongst the preschools of New York City, and so parents are getting really stressed out. They have to get letters of referral to get into the preschool, and I remember meeting new parents, and they were so eager to tell you how exceptional, you know, their six-month is. You know, and I, I, was, I was always really impressed by all these things. I mean, you know, they were doing calculus by the age of 10 months and, you know, all sorts of things. But it was interesting because there was such a pressure there, especially, I think it's everywhere, but there was, it was particularly pronounced there, to make sure that your children met a certain standard. And what God is doing here is He's making a definitive statement every time a paycheck is received, every time He opens the womb for the first time, He says, I want you to understand that that event is sacred, that you are encountering the very presence of God in that time, in that moment, and the way that you respond to that is you offer those things back to me. You offer them back to me. And I will tell you, uh, friends, that uh, this has become a deep blessing to me on many levels. Uh, One of the reasons I uh, get excited about the practice of the tithe, so if you're familiar with the practice of the tithe, that's what Christians most often teach. We teach it here. And it goes something like this. When God gives you resources, the very first thing you do before the mortgage is paid or anything else is you offer a portion of that back to God, right? And the Bible recommends this portion of 10%, which I think is helpful because uh, Tim Keller points out, he says, this proportion for most of us is hard, but not impossible, right? But it's enough to hurt. It's enough to make it to the point that we have to decide Are we going to trust in God to provide the rest, or does the weight fall on our shoulders? And this is where I want to tell you a personal story. This was, I think for me, probably the most overwhelming week of my life in the last 18 months. Okay, so I was, um, we had, you know, we've been having a crisis a week here at the church. We had another wonderful, fun crisis. Uh, We had some tight deadlines on some things. Um, And then I had a situation yesterday where I had to work for 14 hours straight under a deadline, um, having not slept the night before. And I think I came as close to a breakdown as I've ever experienced in my whole life (laughs) in that situation. One of the points of stress for me in this past week was preparing for this sermon. But I will tell you something, that as I was sitting there at my computer, reflecting on this scripture, reflecting on what it was saying, I will tell you that it hit me like a load of bricks right in the head. I was thinking about this concept. When God gives you a child, you offer that child back to the Lord. You say, Lord, this is not for my personal fulfillment. He is not for me to attain all the things I want to attain. He belongs to you. Or when the Lord gives you resources, you say, Lord, these have not come from my hands, but these are yours, and I have to trust you for the rest of it. And you know what that did to me in this moment? I was sitting there, stress level was high, right? Anxiety was significant. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Darren, if this is true, then the weight of your responsibility does not ultimately fall on your shoulders. But the Lord is with you. 
the weight of the responsibility that you believe you are ultimately responsible for, that weight of that responsibility does not ultimately fall on you. Yes, we need to work hard. Yes, we need to be faithful. Yes, we need to be diligent. But at the end of the day, right, whether the church grows, whether people are doing well, whether you are keeping clients happy, whether you are delivering the kind of sermons that you want to deliver, at the end of the day, those things come from the hands of the Lord. And I will tell you this, that I stopped my sermon preparation and I worshiped. And friends, that is the heart that I have for you. And that is one of the reasons that I think embracing what God is saying to you can change your life. It's interesting, I mean, as I've walked with folks who are struggling financially, I I use this example because it's so objective and it's so powerful. As I've walked with folks who are struggling financially, uh, it took me a while to get there, to have the courage to say this, but finally I got the courage and I said, you know what you should start doing is start giving to the Lord in some way. Find something, some way to give to the Lord. Why? Because you need to know in the depths of your soul that the responsibility to attain the things that you need to provide for your family doesn't ultimately fall on you. And right now, you are living and believing and feeling completely contrary. But look at this practice that God prescribes. He says, when the womb of the animal, when the animal is discovered to not be barren, right, to be a healthy animal, right, which by the way, yeah, I actually just learned this. It's kind of embarrassing, but I just learned this. Does anyone know why Israel was described as the land of milk and honey? Like, why milk? Right? Why is that? Answer? Because it was so abundant for cattle, right? Or in their day, it would be a goat's milk, right? And then honey was produced by the fig tree, so uh, in, at least in that idea of it. And what God was saying is, I am bringing you into abundance. And abundance is great, although it has one problem, right? When you have an encounter with abundance, you are tempted to forget the one who supplied the abundance. And so God prescribes these practices. He prescribes the practice of making sacred those things that he gives you. And friends, I wonder how that might change your emotional well-being, right? I wonder how it might change your emotional well-being. The next time you receive something, right, you receive a paycheck or if you um, receive other things, I wonder if you could just pause for just a moment and ask yourselves this question. Is something sacred happening here? Or is this simply the fruit of me being a cog in the wheel of this world, of this system, and it will never end. Well, for me, as I was feeling that way, and I paused and thought about it, it led me in to a kind of worship that I have not experienced uh, in quite some time. And so, God prescribes this practice, but why does He prescribe it? What is going on here? Well, this is what He says. He says uh, in verse 14, He says, and when in time... Uh, to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? Why do we do this? He says, you need to remember the salvation of the Lord. Right now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, how 
it seems difficult to understand. You can go listen to that sermon if you'd like about why the firstborn of Egypt uh, had to be killed in order for Israel to be saved. But the one word I think that's so helpful to point out here is in verse 15. It's this word, stubbornly, right? This is God saying, he's saying, remember the stubbornness of Pharaoh. Remember this one who held power over you, and he was so stubborn. He was so unwilling to relent, even though his country was falling apart at the seams, even though power after power after power after power was pummeling him over and over and over again. He was stubborn. No, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. No, I won't. And finally, it's when the firstborn were taken. That was the straw that breaks Pharaoh's back, as it were. And God says, it's important that you never forget this. It's important that you never forget the salvation of the Lord. And friends, if I've learned anything uh, as a Christian and as a pastor and walking through life, I will tell you that I believe the salvation of the Lord is about one of the easiest things to forget in life. I mean, seriously, when's the last time you simply sat and thought about the fact that God has gone to every length possible to heal the brokenness that you experience, to save you from death and hell and sin, and to bring you into an everlasting kingdom and where there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. He will wipe away every tear. If you're like me, this is not a regular occurrence on its own. It has to be prompted. And what God is doing here is He's saying that you need a sign. You need a guide. It's this idea of, you know, being frontlets for your eyes, right? Having on your body, as it were, reminders of God's salvation. Well, some of you perhaps are sitting here and saying, you know, Darren, I find it unsatisfactory intellectually uh, that God would have to do to Egypt what He did in order uh, for Pharaoh to let people of Israel go. Certainly, there must have been another way, right? If you think that, I understand that. I appreciate that. We talked about that a little bit a couple sermons ago. But friends, in the answer of the Bible, you see, in the answer of the Bible, the salvation of uh, Israel from Egypt was not ultimately about an argument between Moses and Pharaoh, all right? It wasn't ultimately about that, right? We know that because time will fast forward and God's own Son will have to be offered up to Him, described as a lamb without blemish, in order for the sins of His people to be forgiven. And friends, as I was considering this, and I was considering even frankly the teaching of this passage, it occurred to me that what God is saying here is remember the salvation of the Lord. Remember the stubbornness of Darren Pesnell. How time after time after time after time I provided for him, I delivered him, I rescued him, I saved him. Time after time after time, miracle after miracle, and the first moment there's need, it's not, I believe you'll save me, it's, what are you doing? (laughs) Why aren't you here? I need to hyperventilate. I need to go curse. Right? Why? Answer? Because I am Pharaoh. 
and so are you. Friends, I think it's helpful to admit that in many ways, you and I are profoundly stubborn. We are profoundly stubborn to recognize the power of God in our lives and to bow under it, right? One way we know, the next time we find that anxiety welling up, the heart rate coming up, your version of whatever that looks like, when that happens, right? I want you to think of this. I am Pharaoh. I am defiant in the face of Almighty, all-powerful, all-holy God with all of His signs of power. And I'm saying, no! I will not bow to your power and trust you. I demand to do it on my own. And God knows that that's the case. So what does He do? He gives us these practices. He says, in order for you to not go off into this place, I want you to realize that everything I give you, right, of the womb, of resources, is sacred. And that it comes not from your hands, but from my sovereign goodness. And so he prescribes these practices. And friends, I'll tell you that it's been a pleasure of mine to actually walk with a number of people and see how God has healed them financially, healed them with crushing debt as they have begun to practice this, right? And the best part, by the way, is in watching the change in their countenance. Uh, you know, my personal story is that um, I was a terrible fundraiser, right? I had the worst fundraiser the world has ever seen, bar none. And uh, the church didn't really have any money, and I was all discouraged by it, and finally it hit me like a ton of bricks that this counsel I had been giving to others, we had to give to the church as well. And the church began to set aside 5% of everything that was given in that box and devote it to a fund for church planting. And then we increased it a percent per year until it capped at 10, which is where it currently is. So for us this year, it's going to be approximately $33,000. You know, $33,000 would pay for a lot of stuff here. But once we made that change, February of 2013, the church turned around financially. It was profound. And friends, um, I say that because I think that in a practical way, I was stubborn. I was unwilling to consider where provision actually came from. And so friends, wherever you are, uh, whether you identify with any of this or not, I want to call you to not miss the sacred moments in life. Right? When the Lord opens the womb of your wife, right? Or women, when he gives you the children that you have been praying for, I hope that you have some time of worship in that moment. I hope that you are able to enter in to the presence of the Lord. Right, those of you out of work or uh, underworked, as you are praying for the deliverance of God, as you are sitting up worried at night about how things are going to go, I hope that as he does provide, that those moments will become sacred that you will not simply experience a transaction, but that you will experience the very presence of God and that it will lead you to worship. So that's where we are. Uh, and we know that we can trust God. We know that He is someone, even though we don't understand His ways, right? He makes decisions that we don't understand. 
A lot of my work, by the way, is walking with people as we find situations in their lives to be incalculable. We don't understand. We're completely left out of the loop as to what is going on, to why is it happening. And part of my job is walking with those folks and saying, I have no idea why these things are happening. But I know that God is good. Why? Because ultimately, He gives His firstborn. He does not ask you to do something that He Himself was unwilling to do. Yes, it's costly. But anything He asks of you doesn't hold a candle to this. Let's pray together.